I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 86. My guests are Danielle Golden and Joe Teeters of Double Bagging It. There's a few things that you need to know about them. They're best friends, both of them live with an ileostomy, and they use humor to raise awareness of IBD and life with a stoma. Danielle and Joe speak and perform at various IBD and ostomy events, work to educate healthcare providers about ostomies, and travel to DC to tell their stories at Day on the Hill events. As you might expect, we talk about their individual IBD journeys and how they met and decided to form a partnership, but also why they filled ostomy bags with pudding, their favorite poop stories, and why it is important to them that they work as advocates and activists. Joe and Danielle, double bagging it. Thank you so much for coming on about IBD. Thanks for having us. We are super excited. So I always like to start out by asking people a little bit about their IBD journey. Both of you also have different kinds of complications. First, Danielle, I wonder if you would tell me a little bit about your ulcerative colitis story. And then, Joe, maybe you can tell me what uh, it has been like having Crohn's disease. Um, So, yeah, so I was a really healthy kid growing up until around the age of 16. So in high school, around junior year, I started having symptoms that we kind of brushed off as eating the wrong foods or drinking too much grapefruit juice, which was my favorite back then. So I just kind of started seeing my personality traits change with with an illness that kind of crept up. Um, I started becoming a little less spontaneous and a little less fun. And I somehow just powered through, got to college, went to see a doctor. I was misdiagnosed for six years, unfortunately, with a gluten intolerance, which was not the most fun thing to have in college because it, it was annoying and expensive. So we didn't have, you know, all of the great natural food stores we have now. But I, I ended up starting with um, just a lot of the gurgling belly and bad diarrhea and always needing to know exactly where the restroom was. That kind of changed over time into um, more serious uh, issues with that. I went from just having a couple bouts of diarrhea a day to having really bloody diarrhea and going to the bathroom 25 to 25-ish times a day, which was just altering my lifestyle, altering school, altering everything about how I lived. And so um, I finally, one of my doctors here in Columbus finally said, you know, this is really not normal. I don't feel like this is a gluten intolerance. And she sent me for colonoscopy. And lo and behold, I had a very severe case of ulcerative colitis. And although it was scary to have a diagnosis, it was also really amazing to have a diagnosis because I didn't have to be, I just, I felt like, you know, an answer is so good. So being able to start on treatments and not having like a, I was always fearful that it was something far worse. And so it was just really good to have a, have that diagnosis, diagnosis back in 1999. And so it did. It took a good six years to get the real diagnosis, which thinking back on that just blows my mind. Yeah. Even during that time, you would think that it would have gone quicker than that. Were you able to still do theater when you were in college, even though you were so sick? 
Uh, I only did theater in high school. So by, by the time I was in college, um, I'd been feeling ill for a year or two and I powered through it. But unfortunately, um, I went to Ohio State University, which is a giant campus. And I lived far, very far from the classes that I had. And there were so many times that I just didn't make it to class. There was actually an instance where I had to, I actually ended up going to school a little bit longer because I had to drop out of classes because the classes that I had were in older buildings and the restrooms, unfortunately, were varied. So there was a male restroom on one floor and a female restroom on the next. And of course, mine was on the male restroom, smack dab in the middle of a very big building. So I had to run down the hallway, down a set of stairs and all the way back to the middle where the bathroom was. And as anybody with IBD knows, urgency is such an issue and running can be really detrimental, right, Joe? You never know what can happen when you have to run with colitis. So Mm -hmm. on top of that, I actually ended up um, because I was so ill, I ended up changing majors to a more safe major um, to have with an illness. So I went from environmental science. I wanted to be a national park ranger, uh, do something with natural resources. And unfortunately, I was starting to realize that that was not going to be easy to do when you had to go to the bathroom 20, 25 times a day. So I ended up switching majors in my second year and going for communications and marketing, which you know one would think is a little safer to have in an office environment, which was the case. But it was very unfortunate that I had to change what I'd wanted to do my entire life because of diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, our stories are so similar that it's bonkers. Oh, wow. It's, it's really bonkers. I do have an environmental science degree. Oh, wow. Because I never had that come to Jesus moment. (laughs) (laughs) Even though people told me, I just didn't listen. Wow, I had no idea. That's so cool. Yeah, you know, could literally not do any of the things that I wanted to do, like go into the Peace Corps and do all of that. No. You're in the Pooh Corps instead. Yeah. (laughs) We should have a Pooh Corps. Oh, let's get t-shirts. Yeah. I like that. I'm in. Thank you so much for your story, Danielle. Joe, why don't you tell me a little bit about your journey with Crohn's disease? Growing up, I was always, I always had poop problems. I was, I was a pooper. Uh, (laughs) Nothing ever really rose to the level of clinical significance where my parents had to take me to the doctor or anything, but I'm the youngest of six kids. I was always in the bathroom, you know, Joe's pooping again, all that kind of stuff. When I graduated high school, I joined the Naval Reserves. And while I was away for five months of training, that's when I started really kicking in, having issues, uh, symptoms, pain, lots of pain, cramping, and things got worse than what they had been in my previous life with like bouts of constipation, diarrhea. Uh, The pain was the most significant issue that I was experiencing. Of course, being away for naval training, basic training, there was certainly a high stress environment being 18 years old as we're all the way from home and then being in that, in that environment. Uh, so when I got back uh, after my five months of training, my parents started taking me around to figure out what was going on because you know, problems didn't, or the problems continued. So I started going around the doctor and uh, like Danielle, it took a while to get diagnosed, but nowhere near as long. It was about a year back and forth with the doctor until it finally had a colonoscopy, which confirmed that I had Crohn's disease. And that was at the age of 19. And I started just like most Crohn's patients, IBD patients, I started on back in 93, it was before biologics. So I started on high doses of steroids, sulfa drugs, uh, and so forth. 
And uh, at the time I was going to, after I finished Naval Reserves, I was going to uh, school to study computer science. And I was going to school full-time, working part-time. But once I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, I needed to start working full-time because I needed health insurance. So my plans kind of shifted there uh, because, because of that. And my disease was really bad at the time. And actually looking in hindsight, I believe the actual trigger or the first significant event with Crohn's was probably earlier when I was 14, when I had an emergency appendectomy. And this is only looking back in hindsight, because if I look at the symptoms, look how I was feeling, especially at that time, I think that might have been the, the first real sign of, of my Crohn's disease. Uh, so I started working, working full time, started my, my life changed. I got medical discharge from the Naval Reserves, which was it was, it was disappointing because I was really enjoying the, the service that I was doing. I was in the Naval Reserves as a CB construction battalion. Uh, I enjoyed that training. I enjoyed the, the people that I was working with there. And I was really excited to continue that. Uh, but I couldn't uh, having Crohn's disease. My disease was really bad at that time. I, two years later, from 93 to 95, I had to have my first resection. And in the 27 years that I've had Crohn's disease, I've had two resections uh, and then my permanent ileostomy surgery in 2012. Uh, over that time, I've dealt with anemia really bad. I had lots of bleeding uh, with, my, with my Crohn's disease. I had to have multiple blood transfusions. And, but since my ostomy surgery, though, that's been uh, way, way better. I haven't, my hemoglobin stayed up, and so the ostomy has really been a great thing for me on my IBD journey. So how long were you in the Naval Reserves? Almost two years from my enlistment date, because once I was diagnosed in, I was diagnosed in February of 93, by that summer, June of 93, uh, and it, it's strange, it was funny kind of the way it happened. I popped for a random uh, drug test on my regular monthly drill, and I was freaking out because I'm like, I'm on all these drugs, I, I, I've got to tell them. So I'm like, yeah, I've, I've, I'm taking you know, Azacol, I'm taking prednisone, I'm taking Imuran, you know. And so that was on a Saturday I showed for drill. By Sunday, I had my discharge papers. Wow. Because I told my Crohn's. I'd like to know a little bit more about that process, if you don't mind, because yeah. it's always been my understanding that Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are two conditions that basically they tell you, no way, <laughs> um, you can't be here. Is that accurate? It, it is and I, I'll put a caveat in here. I was 19 years old. I was overwhelmed with dealing with the Crohn's disease as it was. There were processes in place where I could have appealed the decision. Okay. The decision was is when you have a diagnosis like that, they, they label you as unfit for deployment. Right. So since you can't be deployed into you know overseas, into a war zone, anything, because they can't guarantee that they'll be able to get you your life-saving medication. Mm -hmm. So... That was the decision. That was what went into the decision. But I could have gone through some sort of appeal process and tried to potentially get like a, um, a different job assignment or something that would have been always stateside, something that wouldn't put me in the position of being deployed. But I was 19. I was overwhelmed with Crohn's and trying to figure out my life. And I was just like, uh, I guess I'm out. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, that's completely understandable. I get I get that. And especially... Um during that time when there was, I don't want to say more stigma, but maybe just a different kind of, of stigma and less understanding about IBD in general. But through your diagnosis process, you weren't going through anyone that was involved in the military to get a diagnosis? 
No, because as a reservist, it, it's not the same. If had I been at duty, it would have been a lot different. I would have been going to the military hospitals and doctors, but as a reservist, I just show up once a month. Other than that, I'm a regular citizen. Right. Oh, okay. So you were going to your regular physician. So there was no, there was no connection there. Basically, you had to disclose, essentially. Correct. And the only reason I disclosed is because I wasn't sure what was going to show up on the drug test. Yeah. Those drug tests, are they really looking for, like, would they really have been looking for, like, azulfidine or something? (laughs) You know, sitting here 27 years later, more wisdom, possibly I would have been just written it out and just said, all right. I can just hear you. Uh, I take Tylenol, (laughs) Flintstone vitamins. Like, you probably put literally every single thing. Vitamin D on my walk today. Yeah. I had poppy seeds this morning. (laughs) I had poppy seeds this morning. That's so funny because I've had that experience. I don't know if you all have had it as well, where I had to go for a drug test for some job and had had a colonoscopy a couple of days prior or whatever it was and had to disclose, yes, I had a bunch of stuff. I don't even know what they gave me. <laughs> and to this day, I don't even know if they test for that. Well, and I'll, I'll say this also plays into it as well, just as like Danielle was saying with me listing everything off. One difference between Danielle and I is, uh, I will say that I respect authority, but it's more like of a fear of authority. Like I, of course, will toe the line and all right, yes, all right, what do you? So I'm a perfect, perfect Navy man, and uh, but Danielle, of course, would be like, I don't know what you're trying to say. <laughs> That's why we're best friends. We balance each other out very well. I would say Danielle walks to the beat of her own drum, but uh, there's I make no the drums. Drum. There's yeah. No- she just walks. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Andrew. <laughs> I like that. As a rule follower and an institutionalist myself, I get you, Joe. I get that. Thank you. So then tell me how you guys met. Gosh, this was back in 2013. I lived in Cleveland with my family. And my husband accepted a job in Columbus. So my daughter and I stayed home to finish out the school year, to sell our home. And I was very, very involved in both the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation up in Cleveland, as well as the United Ostomy Association. And so I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit salty about having to move. I had the Cleveland Clinic in my backyard. That is where I had my life-saving ostomy surgery. That's where all of my physicians were. And so it was a little bit difficult for me to accept the move, even though I had lived there for six years in between when I went to school. Um, So I jumped on on social media and kind of just threw out in a couple of the big IBD support groups that I was in. And I just kind of said, hey, I'm moving from Cleveland to Columbus. Is anybody uh, there that's in Columbus? Are you involved in any support groups? I'm really trying to get a hold of this. And Joe jumped in and he was just like, Hey, I'm Joe. I live in Columbus. I attend a ostomy support group. I would, you know, be happy to meet you and go when you and your family arrive. So we just kind of started exchanging some messages just here and there. And um, we ended up meeting in the end of 2014 at the ostomy, uh, the Central Ohio United Ostomy Group, which we're actually president and vice president of now. So that's a fun full circle moment. I don't know. It was just kind of a, a magical thing. You know, everyone, I think part of, of IBD and ostomy life for us is really finding your tribe, you know, having those people that you can go to, whether they be online or in person. And so this was a big moment for me to refine a different tribe in a different city. And it was super important. So 
we started going to the monthly meetings and then we started hanging out a little bit afterwards, just, you know, going for a drink right after the ostomy meeting. And it was amazing just how much that we had in common. And I had friends um, who had IBD or ostomies up north, but they weren't really in my age group. They didn't really share my bizarre sense of humor. And so it was an absolutely life-changing moment to meet Joe. And our friendship just kind of fell into place. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And for for me, as Danielle was saying there, not having someone in the group, I had started going to the group in 2013 after I was, while I was recovering from my ostomy surgery. But when you go to the group, even being 40 at the time, most of the people in the group were older and not too many people have had IBD. And so when Danielle showed up, and having someone who was so close in age, so close in health history, it, things just really clicked. Plus, our bizarre sense of humor yeah. matches perfectly. So, we like to tell poop jokes. We do. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> we embrace this lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> so, at what point did you decide that you were going to be a dynamic duo and create Double Bag in it? Whose idea was it? And how'd you get started there? I think it was the gods, actually. I, I think. think- they- aligned. I do feel <laughs> that way. And I don't know, we just started really talking to each other and telling our stories. And, and we realized that not so many people around us were doing the same and, and that that's totally okay. But we were like, wow, we think that we can really use our humor and tell our bizarre stories and break down some barriers. So we started coming up with some ideas. And of course, it came out of a joke, you know, yeah, um, the name and everything. But <laughs> It worked. It yeah. worked. Th- things really clicked. We went to a uh, national conference, United Ostomy Association conference in 2015. And that's when things really clicked. We were there with 400 and some other ostomates and with all different varied health journeys and seeing different people tell their stories and share their stories and seeing in person how impactful that was. And we wanted to be a part of that. We wanted to, to share our voice because there are so many people who, for whatever reason, don't want to, or they can't, they're not able to, they're not comfortable to. So we, we wanted to jump in and yes. share our voice too. So we were in St. Louis and um, like Joe said, we had met 400 some people, which was just so eye opening and so beautiful. And I'm not a very emotional person, but I will say that I went after the first day, I went up to my hotel room and I called my husband and I just like couldn't even talk. I was just I had no idea how important that would be for me to meet so many people like myself because I've always been so outgoing with everything. I've been very transparent with my health journey, but just being around so many people and being able to share these stories and this time together was just astounding. And so, you know, we were there for maybe five days, I think, and we just kept kicking around the idea. We met somebody um, who we had talked to somebody who inspired Joe for a really long time. And he just said to us, you know what, you, you guys, can't wait around. You need to make this happen. And he challenged us to start this. He's like, you know, go make your first video, go open some social media channels, do this before you leave. Because if you don't, you're just going to keep pushing off, which honestly is true because we are the both the biggest procrastinators. I never thought I could meet somebody on my level of procrastination, but Joe has taken that lead. I'm called H2O because I always take the path of least resistance. (laughs) But um, so that night we we went up to the rooftop of this fancy hotel in St. Louis and made just the most like looking back on it. <laughs> it's just the funniest little video. We were nervous. It was shaky. It was a GoPro. 
Um, it, but it was, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Our first video, just setting the entire stage for what was to come for the next, you know, five, six, six years now. But yeah, it, it was amazing. It was. Yeah. So Double Bag and it was born on a fancy St. Louis hotel rooftop. How did you come up with the name? Was it something that you workshopped? <laughs> I don't know. We were, I, we, we tried to figure out who, which one of us said it. My husband claims that he came up with it. <laughs> oh, no one knows anymore. It's been, yeah. you know, I don't know. It just turned into something. We laughed about it. We're like, wow, that could, that could give a lot of interesting thoughts. But we know it's stuck with us. It's true. He has a bag. I have a bag. We're all about awareness and advocacy. So it has a good ring to it. Well, and I know my own lack of knowledge uh, at the time which we've since uh, has been corrected. I didn't realize that double bagging it actually meant, you know, there are double ostomates out there mm -hmm. who there are double baggers themselves. So we field a lot of those questions. People think we both are actually double baggers, but it's just, we're a double bagger we, because together we're one. Yeah. We're double baggers. So we definitely are nearly the same human, except yeah. for you follow rules. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but to clarify, we both have permanent ileostomies. Yes. I don't think I said that part in my story at the beginning. I think because I've always known a little bit about who both of you are in your stories, it never occurred to me, but I can see how the double bagging it might lend itself to someone who does live with, for instance, an ileostomy and a urostomy or something like that. So and we have a couple friends who have both. So yeah. they call us imposters. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. Oh, gosh, I have this like, um, Capulet Montague now thing in my mind, you know, like, next um, United Ostomy Association meeting, you guys should like, you know, get a rumble going, you and some of the people that are real, really double bagging it. I could do West Side Story. I, I was just gonna say, I saw that he started and you guys can't see it, but he started clicking his fingers. He's ready to do some, <laughs> some theatrics here. You're ready for it. Yeah. What are some of the events that you guys have done together? Well, I think our, our big one was, um, and was that 2019? Yeah, 2019 are the National UOAA, which is United Ostomy Association of America. Um, their national event was in Philadelphia in August of 2019. And we were super honored and thrilled to take the stage um, on their big entertainment evening. We performed there and we've had many opportunities to speak with local groups here in Columbus, as well as we've worked with Ostomy Company and presented to their employees and, and shared our stories in, in that kind of environment. And, and this year was going to be like a breakout year for us. Um, we had not, not yeah. COVID breakout. Oh, no. <laughs> no, can you just I, I gotta, select your words yeah. a little bit better? Uh, we, we had four different keynotes planned for this year, but obviously life had other plans. The world had other That's plans. Okay. We have, we'll have four keynotes next year and then some. So, yeah. but yeah, we've, we've been to various conferences, um, for ostomies. We've done things with the Crohn's and colitis foundation. We've been lucky enough to be honored as honored heroes in 2017. So that really started our speaking circuit locally for us with different companies and different hospitals. And, oh, and healthy voices we attended and, and performed there as well. Yeah, we've done a lot of really cool things. I think one of my favorite things that we do that a lot, not a lot of people are aware of and not a lot of people get the chance to do, um, and I think this is really important, especially in the IBD community, because we don't seem to be looked at in this way. But Joe and I, I have a good friend from college who is an occupational therapist and professor, 
And she invited us to her college classroom up in Northern Ohio. And we had an opportunity to let the OT students learn more about inflammatory bowel disease as well as ostomies and how they can you know, help us, especially after surgeries or even in times when we're in a bad flare. And so it's been very important, I think, to us and to them as well to have that opportunity to be able to ask any questions. We've actually, we've gone a few times now and we kind of take it a step further every time we go. First, we just kind of told our stories and how IBD affects our daily lives. And then we kind of moved on to, hey, these are ostomy bags. Hey, you know what? We're going to have the students wear the ostomy bags. And of course, we filled them with chocolate pudding because why wouldn't we? And then the very next time, so they had, they had to wear them for the whole two hours. And then we were like, hey, one step up. The very next time we went, we had a different group of students wear the bags again. And then we had them open them and empty them into the toilet, which was really eye-opening for them with the amount of dexterity it takes, especially maybe for older patients. So I think that's been one of our most um, exciting and important events that we've had the honor of doing. That's fantastic. Whose idea was it, the pudding in the bag? Probably me. I'm gross. (laughs) No, but I mean, that's accurate because, you know, think about a lot of us live with arthritis and other, you know, mobility concerns. And so understanding firsthand how an ostomate like you said, might need the dexterity to just empty the bag and like, let's be honest, not get it on yourself. You know? Right. It was funny. Joe took the male student in the male bathroom. I took the female students in and we were, we had a fun time laughing, but they were like, how do you do this? Our legs are like quaking. Like, how did you not get this all over you? It was really funny, uh, funny, but educational. A fun part of that experience as well was the, if they took the bags off after they were wearing them, one of the students, <laughs> one of the students was, I don't know if it was a dare that came up. One of the students was going to eat the pudding out of the bag. And some, some were doing it, I guess, and using spoons. This student took the, held the bag up and was trying to like eat it out like a pastry bag or something and, and couldn't figure it out and asked us like, how do you do this? And we're like, we don't know. We never take anything out. We always put stuff into it. So yeah, we know the best way to do it. We don't do that, but it was funny. <laughs> and another really cool thing too, which was a first for me. And then I've been doing it ever since is, I actually changed my bag in front of the students and I let them help me because my friend who's been doing this forever, she's like, there's countless times that I've had to help a patient change their ostomy bag, um, you know, during one of our occupational therapy sessions. And it's always, you know, an emergency that that comes up. And so uh, it was really great to be able to do that. And it was like a show, it was a stoma show and tell, you know, and they, they were really excited to do it. And Yeah, I've heard from different people who live with a stoma that sometimes when they see someone out of the GI or colorectal specialty, you know, go to a dermatologist, for instance, they get they get passed around a little bit because they don't maybe see stomas very often. So, you know, that's wonderful that you're serving as uh, guinea pigs for these folks and getting them more comfortable with seeing stomas, understanding what ostomy life is, understanding that not everyone who has an ostomy is an elderly person or has it because of colon cancer that, you know, there's all, you know, all different ages and reasons for having a stoma. Right. And I think the, the more comfortable, you know, other health professionals are, the more com- comfortable the patients are going to be, especially those directly out of their surgeries. Absolutely. We've all heard horror stories from other patients about what they hear sometimes from other healthcare professionals who ostomies are not part of their daily work. So that's fantastic that you do that. Why is it important to you, though, that you do this work and that you you also do activism as well as your advocacy? 
for me, uh, it's very important. I spent up until my ostomy surgery, my, my ostomy journey and my IBD journey, um, they're obviously very entwined. I wouldn't have the one without the other. And prior to my ostomy surgery, I wasn't really that involved. I, not that I was very stoic, but it was just IBD was part of my life. I would occasionally go to Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, bolathons, or what have you. But I never, other than that, I never really paid attention to it. It wasn't until my ostomy surgery that I desperately needed the community and I found the community and I realized how important that community was and how, how important it is for people to know, not just, not just patients, not just patients to come together and learn from each other, but how important it is for non-IVD patients, how important it is for the healthcare community, how important it is for employers, how important it is for government, how important it is for everyone to know what it's like living with IBD and, you know, the same token, what it's like living with an ostomy. So that, that really drives me secondarily part of my experience, the reason I needed that community. With my IBD journey throughout the years, I've dealt with depression and anxiety to varying degrees. It wasn't until my ostomy surgery that I really went into a really deep, dark depression. And that's why I was reaching out for the community. The way I was able to come back from that was through the community. It was a big part of pulling me back uh, and saving me, if you will. Uh, so that that ability to reach out and speak for people who can't speak for themselves, to help people either not get to a dark place or to come out of dark places and realize that they can live uh, their life to the fullest, that that really drives me. Very well said, Joe. I know. How do you how do you top that, Danielle? Yeah, <laughs> that is a good point. He's you know he's a six oh one or like on the Price is Right. We always say that. He's always got. To be- <laughs> um, that's what I call him all the time. But you know, so for me, I think it's twofold. Um, everything that Joe said, of course, but I also think um, we kind of take it down a level. We really put things out there in two different ways. We do things in a silly ways with our humor, um, just to break down some barriers as well as to educate people. We do a lot of times when the you know when it's not non-pandemic year, we go places and we put ostomy bags on statues. You know, we've gone to the zoo, we've gone to holiday events, we've gone to various statues in our city, and just placing an ostomy bag on there, taking a picture, posting on our social media, and just really normalizing ostomies, normalizing IBD. You know, everyone poops. We just poop through a hole in our stomach instead of out our butts, you know. And um, we're not joking when we say two best friends without buttholes, you know. We, we, we put it out there for a reason. And so we do these things like what we call them ostomy bombs, and we're just placing them out there. And a lot of times people in the community will come up to us and be like, you know, what is that? Or we'll have somebody who knows what it is, and they're like, wow, that's really great that you guys are doing this. And, you know, we really appreciate that. On the flip side, we also take our activism to... Um, our local government, as well as to Washington, D.C., we are always really excited and happy to participate in the IBD Day on the Hill through the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. And, um, you know, I really enjoy that time because being able to speak to the people making the decisions in our country is so empowering and so important. And, you know, I'm always the one in the office that says the uncomfortable things, and I'm happy to do that. IBD ostomies, they're not pretty, you know, and I like mine. My stoma is pretty. I will give you <laughs> that. But, you know, just the, the life and, and so many people are embarrassed by it and are so sick to even be able to do this. So we're so happy that we can take our voices to Capitol Hill 
and have these very important conversations. And, you know, I'm, I'll be the first one to sit in that office and be like, we need to get some things changed here because I've lost my colon. I will actually say I've lost my butthole <laughs> to IBD. And I want, you know, I want research. I want things in place to help other people not have to go through what we have. Not that ostomies are a bad thing. They're life-saving. I love mine. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. But to be able to, you know, save a, somebody else, have them not have to go through it, I think is so important. So I'm happy to lend my voice and tell my stories of pooping in places I shouldn't be pooping and, you know, running down that college uh, hallway to find a bathroom and sometimes not making it. I'm happy to tell those stories so that we can get our voices out there and make it as important to, as it is. Yeah, and, and just add, adding on or, or reemphasizing that, we we share our stories and experience with the Congress and people making decisions as a cautionary tale. We're happy with the life that we're living. We're living our life to the fullest, but if we can have a better outcome for the 17-year-olds today as than, than what 17-year-old us had, mm -hmm. then we wanna do that. And then our jobs here are done, yes. right? We will continue. That's accurate, and I feel exactly the same way. Is IBD funny? I mean, uh, I think the diseases are not funny, but you know, there's a silver lining in things. And much like toddlers can show us, poop is funny, farts are funny, you know, and I think humor really we really believe that humor helps like i said before break down those barriers and, and open conversations yeah a lot of the times i mean poop poop is funny farts are funny but uh, a lot of the times when you're dealing with the the things that we all deal with with ibd it's it's either making a choice of you know can you laugh are you going to laugh or are you going to cry and sometimes both most a lot of the times both but uh, it's trying, you have to laugh as a coping survival mechanism. I mean, because there's going to be times that you will inevitably poop your pants or poop your shirt, depending yeah. on where your pooper is. I might be doing it right now. I, I mean, I, true. are you true. pooping right now talking to me? <laughs> right now, we're yeah. drinking, so therefore, yeah, you can't hear it and that's fine. But yeah, we're just yeah. sitting there pooping away. I earned that. I earned that poop at the yeah. dining room table, you know? Yeah. But no, yeah. I do think that it's it's okay to laugh about it. And and some of the things that we joke about and laugh about now were certainly not funny when it happened to me. Absolutely. And, it, and it's a fine line. Like, we, you're finding the humor. We, we joke, just the two of us together, we're laughing and joking all the time. But you definitely have to be, and, and we hope that we are, that we're recognize that not everybody is in that same place of finding the humor or finding humor or being able to laugh. And we totally recognize that. Uh, we try to be, we try to be graceful, I guess, about that or honor, honor that, I guess, read the room, so to speak, right. and make sure that we're not being inappropriate with someone who's not to the point we are yet. Do you have a favorite story about your ostomy life? I mean, there's so many. One of my favorites early on um, involves my daughter. So she was three and a half when I had my ostomy surgery. She'd only ever known me as really sick. I never could take her to the park when I was really ill, unless that park had a really good bathroom. Um, I actually had, you know, I had a, a toilet installed in my car to be able to go places and to do things. And that's sad, but it worked and I'm happy I did it. But so when I had my surgery, all Lauren knew is that I was healthier 
She knew that I could do more things and she wanted to tell the entire world. So imagine this three and a half year old, little adorable human sharing this with all of the world. So two things happened. One, her babysitter, they had, it was an at-home babysitter. And so there was a couple new babies that came in while I was in surgery. So my first, first availability to pick her up and be able to actually hold her was eight weeks after my surgery. I went to pick her up at the side door and one of the new moms was there. She's like, oh, I met your daughter. And, you know, oh, congratulations. And I was like, oh, wow, thanks. Like, that's really exciting. And so she, so my, my son was named Stella, Lauren named her. And so she's like, you know, I'm really excited to meet Stella. <laughs> wow. I didn't know what to do with that yet. And I was like, um, and then it, like, it took me a little bit of time. And then I was like, oh my gosh, Stella's my small intestine that sticks out of my stomach. I have ulcerative colitis. <laughs> but it was the funniest thing. And so Lauren had apparently been telling everyone for eight weeks. And so all the new moms thought, that I had a new baby named Stella and they didn't realize that although new babies poop all the time, so does my stoma. <laughs> it was really funny. And then another quick one, I had taken Lauren to the grocery store. I despise shopping, but I really enjoy grocery shopping. And so it was super exciting to be able to lift her again and to be able to do things on my own. And so we were checking out of the line and she was in one of those little grocery carts. It's like a truck. And so she was facing the person behind us. And she just, the lady just started talking to her and she's like, oh, hi. And she's like, my name is Lauren and my mom has a bag of poop on her belly. (laughs) And the cutest, like imagine big blonde pigtails and giant blue eyes, just telling the entire group of humans within 20 feet of her that her mother is pooping right now. It was a, but she, she was my, like, she was, I think honestly, she started me down the advocacy road because she was just like taking that from a three-year-old's perspective. Yep. My mom is healthy again. And and that was, it was, you know, heartbreaking that she realized that I was sick for so long. Um, but it was really a kind of a beautiful moment. So those are my favorites, the ones that involve her. I think she really started me on the awareness and advocacy journey. Yeah. <laughs> those are my favorite too. <laughs> <laughs> do you have one, Joe? I do. Um, and mine is, mine is my story of uh, acceptance and growth. And I had my surgery at the end of 2012 and 2013 was a, a, what I call a lost year because that was a year I spent in recovery and trying to get back, back into my norm, my quote unquote normal life and social life and such. And I do a big part of my life is I do improvisational comedy and theater and such. And at the time I had my ostomy surgery, I didn't think I'd ever be on, able to be on stage again. But at the end of 2013, I was able to get back on stage and get back into improv and in 2014, in May of 2014, I ventured out to go to an improv camp, an improv retreat for adults. And I was very nervous, first time traveling with my ostomy, and I'm nervous about being in this camp with an ostomy. I was still afraid of people knowing that I had an ostomy, seeing my ostomy, hearing my ostomy. So at the camp, I pretty much kept myself. I got my own little cabin. Everybody else was staying in, you know, the big old like kids' campground cabin. But I had my own little place. So I stayed, I was very reserved, stayed to myself, even though there were parties each night at the gazebo. I just did my classes, went back to my cabin. Well, flash forward to, I went to the same retreat in 2015, Mm -hmm. 2015, and coincidentally or not, after I met Danielle, (laughs) uh, by 2015, I was, as we like to say all the time, I was definitely rocking out with my bag out because I was was imbibing in adult beverages. Mm -hmm. I was partying at the gazebo each night. On, on the last night there, I, was, I, I maybe overindulged in some substances and I had a blackout moment of which kids at home, I don't recommend this. Do not do not do this. Do not try this at home. 
at a moment where I lost a period of time that night, like four to five hours of time that I don't remember. Yes, I know. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but the, one of the last things I remember before that moment was I'm standing on the landing of this cabin with, I don't know how many people around me, four or five other people. And I remember myself saying, it's true. I don't have a butthole. <laughs> <laughs> and then flash forward through that, my, when my memories start coming back, it is, I'm standing on that same landing and people are coming, people are coming out with their bathing suits and going to go swimming in the lake. And the rule was you couldn't swim in the lake at nighttime. And I was like, we can't go swimming. It's nighttime. And they go, no. And I turn around and the sun is coming up. It's right there. And so I find myself walking down and you know, stripping down to my underwear and my ostomy bag all out and jumping in the lake with this, with four other people. And uh, that's when I come to. So I definitely had a lot of growth from my experience in 2014. 2015, I was definitely very, uh, very comfortable with people knowing that I had an ostomy. You were raising a lot of awareness. <laughs> I was. Raising I was. a lot of awareness. Oh, that's definitely a 180. You always play the innocent one, but. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you want to add or anything else that we should cover? I, I think just the only thing to add just from the work that we do, it's something that we like to impart to, to all people with IBD or ostomies, and we, we say it in both patient communities is, you know, we realize we're out there. We're out there so much. We, we always say rock out with your bag out. We literally rock out with our bag out and stuff. But we know that everybody isn't comfortable with that. We know that everybody isn't comfortable being open with their IBD journey or it's open with their ostomy. But we like to say, you know, it's okay to hide your IBD. It's okay to hide your ostomy. Yeah, but don't let your IBD or your ostomy bag hide you. And that's our wisdom. Joanne Danielle, thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for everything you do for our community. Thanks, guys. Hey, super listener. Special thanks to Danielle and Joe for taking the time to tell me their stories and for all they do to support and uplift the IBD community through their humor and their work. You can follow Double Bag In It on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as at Double Bag In It, and that's Baggin without the final G. As Joe and Danielle told their stories, I was reminded how many of us who live with IBD have changed our life trajectory because of our disease. People are often diagnosed young, and career choices are important. For Joe, Danielle, and myself, we needed to pivot and find new directions. Another important part of Joe's story was that he needed to work full-time in order to have health insurance. Under the Affordable Care Act, kids can stay on their parents' insurance until they are 26 years old. Had the ACA been in place at the time of Joe's diagnosis, he may have been able to continue with school. And this is one of the reasons why it is important to protect the ACA and also work towards improving it. I will put more information about this and the other topics we discussed in the show notes and on my episode 86 page on aboutibd.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Mix and sound design is by Matt Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio. Wish I could hug you. Next time I see you, I will hug you for a very long time. Uh, yeah. Meat. It's, it's I want to be the meat. Can I be the meat? 
in yes. the sandwich. The DBI yeah. sandwich, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. It's gonna, it may be warm depending on if it's after. Oh my God, Joe, stop being gross. <laughs> See what I mean? It's yeah. funny. It is. It's funny. <laughs> I like it. I'm there for it. All the warmth. 